everybody. Welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods, and this week we're going to talk about Dark City. Joining me, as always, to talk about that film is Dylan Shore. Dylan, what is Dark City? Dark City was made in 1998, maybe made in 97, but released in 98. And it's about a a city that is dark and, <laughs> and there is um these group of people called the strangers and they it's like the matrix that's all i'm gonna say literally it's baby matrix <laughs> all right so before we get into baby matrix uh what else have you been watching Dylan? seen anything good um I did watch uh, Little Women finally. Oh yeah, what do you think? Loved it. Thought it was really well done. Yes, like that. Uh, Greta Gerwig is always fantastic, and Florence Pugh is really good in it. I'm excited to watch Florence Pugh be a movie star for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Also, Greta Gerwig is really good at directing movies, man. Every time I see one of her flicks, I'm like, yeah, she she might be my favorite working director. Like, I, I know I'm in good hands. I know it's going to be an exceptional film at this point. Definitely. I agree. And I think that's about it. How about you? You watch anything? A couple of things I'll talk about. Uh, some really good, some really bad. Kind of a high-low. I, I don't know. You pick it. You want to start with the good thing or the bad thing? Ooh, bad. Okay. Last night, I watched The Place Beyond the Pines. You think that's bad? You like this movie? I love that movie. What? Tell me why. I love the shifting narrative and seeing how the father's decisions affect their kids in the third act. Sure. And- I, I like all of that as an idea. I think I would like it more as a novel. As a movie, at least my viewing last night, I was, had no patience for it. <laughs> Did you watch a TV version? No, no, no. I, I, it was okay. streaming on... Oh, yeah. It's on Netflix or something like that. Some platform, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did see that. So it was uh, a streamer for sure. I, and I, I sat and watched it all the way through like a proper movie. I didn't, you didn't even, even look like at the, the bank robbery scenes or anything? No, I did. Actually, I was into the movie for the first 30 minutes. And okay, so you just like the first act. Uh, the first act is probably what, 45? Yeah, so I mean, until it becomes Bradley Cooper's story, I'm pretty on board for it. And I will say, I think Eva Mendez can act. I really like her as a performer, and I'd like to see her do more stuff. Every time she shows up in a movie, I'm like, yeah, why doesn't she work more, man? She's really good. She had Gosselin's kid, dude. Poor little Jason. <laughs> and uh, the, the Dane DeHaan that he would become. Right? Isn't that how that worked out? The only actor that I think is not on the level of the rest of the cast is the one that plays Bradley Cooper's son. I don't love him either. He's obviously supposed to be a creep. I think his commitment and execution to the accent is really remarkable. It is. I've seen him in another movie that I'm blanking on where he is good. I think it's just that character that just bothers me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's the fucking worst. That kid is awful. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the movie, I just didn't have patience for the shifting narrative, essentially. By the time I got invested in the character, it became another character's movie and successively less enjoyable. 
I do like the sort of thematic resonance and what he's trying to do moving through time with that. And, you know, like I said, I, I said, I just think it's probably a better novel than it is a movie, at least for me. But that's uh, the movie that I didn't enjoy very much. The movie I did like a lot was Executive Decision. Kurt Russell? Yeah. <laughs> and Seagal? <laughs> Seagal's not in that movie very I much. He he dies in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, really early on. He gets sucked yeah, out yeah, of his no, bomb. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but yeah, I remember that movie. It's a cool-ass movie. It's a wild you, you just said that you like Executive Decision more than Place Beyond the Pines. Way more. Oh, it's not even close. <laughs> Wait, what year is Executive Decision? 98, maybe? Okay, that might be a fun one later down the road to do. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll throw it at you at some point. It is. It's a blast. You know, if you like Kurt action, 90s. Uh, Kurt, no, sorry. You're just craving Kurt because you didn't get to watch Stargate. Must have been it. Must have been it. Which is really bizarre. I don't understand why I can't rent it. I have to buy it on iTunes for like 10 bucks. And I'm just like, I don't want to buy this movie. I've never seen it. I'll send you the Blu-ray. Don't worry about it. Okay. It'll be a birthday <laughs> present. Easy. <laughs> um, okay, wait, where was I? <laughs> you know, my birthday is in a week, right? Okay, well, stay tuned. Look, look, check out your mailbox, buddy. It's coming at you. I'm going to send you Stargate, and then you'll have no excuse. It'll be our birthday special. That'd be funny. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to stop short of ordering it right now, but it is coming at you very shortly. That's funny. Okay. Okay, so no, I, I like Executive Decision a lot, but it, it, is, uh, it focuses, the plot is about Middle Eastern terrorists who hijack a plane, turn it into a weapon, and aim it at Washington, D.C. So it's really kind of intense to watch in a post-September 11 world, and I Definitely. understand why it didn't become the classic that it otherwise would have, because it's a fun, chippy action movie, you know? Does it got a big director behind it? Let me take a look. I feel like it must. Because it, it's got the feel of like a, not maybe like a Roland Emmerich or a, um, who's his buddy? Oh, uh, oh, wait, Emmerich's buddy. Like W, Paul W.S. Anderson. Like, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yes like that that's not the name that i'm thinking of but that is okay so it was produced by joel silver oh uh this is uh stuart baird okay okay well joel silver definitely makes sense he loves those action movies yeah stuart baird also did u.s marshals and star trek nemesis which Love i also watched u.s Marshall. marshals recently bro have you seen <laughs> sorry i'm really excited about this one but have you seen u.s marshals and when was i own it time? uh it's been at least five six years but i mean like i own the movie i know it very well but the fact it, it's really bad but the fact that they uh they re they replaced the train sequence with an airplane sequence make makes me laugh really hard <laughs> they also replaced that sequence twice because in the beginning they do it with like the tow truck yeah and it's like a sad train sequence no, what I want to ask you about U.S. Marshals is, do you remember how Tommy Lee Jones, what his character introduction is to that movie? I want to say it's him getting the information that they got to go arrest Wesley Snipes, right? 
Nope, it is. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what is eventually happening. No, they're raiding a house and Tommy Lee Jones is dressed in a full-on chicken suit, like a, a mascot-level <laughs> chicken suit. Yes, that happens in U.S. Marshals. Okay, I got to pop in U.S. Marshals now. If only for like the first 15 minutes. Okay. Because it happens really, really. <laughs> the movie's insane. That'd actually be a fun, like to do a double feature with, do the Fugitive and then U.S. Marshals. Yeah, that totally would be a blast. I would do it. I'm on board for this activity. Um, I thought of something else that I rewatched that is a... It, it just coincided so perfect for you releasing the new episode. Okay. Because the night before, I was like, hmm, I'm going to have a John Woo double feature. All right. And I fucking put up the Broken Arrow poster and Face Off poster and then watch the VHSs. You and then the, the next morning, you posted Broken Arrow and I was like... Fuck yes, dude. I'm about to re-listen to this. <laughs> Great minds, buddy. Great minds, yeah. I appreciate your commitment to 90s cinema to go far enough to watch that on VHS. I mean, that's really why we're doing this thing, Dylan. I am proud of you. It is. Well, you know, uh, in my room, I don't have a Blu-ray player. I've got DVD and VHS. Okay. But the... I've only got Face Off and Broken Arrow on Blu-ray, besides the VHS. So I was just like, oh, fuck it, we'll pop it in. Stay in heavy <laughs> rotation. I only watch them every other night. That's why there's two <laughs> every other night. get bored that way. Yep. Uh, speaking of nostalgia factors, I've also I, uh, downloaded the Master Chief collection of the Halo games. Halo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that for Sarah on her Xbox. So yeah, I threw on the first Halo and just... I'm not even going to talk about the game, but that music is so damn good, man. I just want to listen to it all the time. He's directing an orchestra, folks. What are you drinking? This is the Lefe Brun. I got a, a collector's pack from Beerhawk here in the UK. Ooh, so it's all sorts of Belgian ales and Trappist ales. So I'm drinking strong, dark beer. Sounds delicious. Yeah, pretty happy about it. Um, into Dark City. Let's do this. All right. Okay. So the plot of the movie is John Murdoch wakes up in a CD motel, hotel, bathroom area, and uh, it's framed over lights swinging overhead. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it's, it's greeny it's like really green and gross yeah yeah very fluorescent um and he wakes up not remembering anything uh classic story of amnesia and it's he, a very noir plot in that way it is essentially him sort of trying to figure out what he doesn't yeah. know there's a cop on it's, his it's, tail and he's just trying to unravel the mystery. He's got a, a girl that he loves that sings in a nightclub. There's all these that says other... his wife. You don't right, know for sure. Right, right. But at the edge of this movie, there's these shadowy forces, and it, it turns it into a real... It's not a noir at all. It's very much a sci-fi... or a sci-fi noir, I guess, or... It's a neo-noir sci-fi film. Yeah. Sort of yeah. in the blade of... 100%. Blade Runner, you know? Definitely. Uh, Blade Runner and Matrix 
had a baby, it became Dark City. It became Dark City. Well, so that's, that's actually well unfair because in the bathtub, right? Say it again. Rufus Sewell is our man in the bathtub. Rufus Sewell, yes. The Jennifer Connelly is his girl Friday. Yep. And is it uh, John Hurt as the, the cop, right? The cop and Kiefer Sutherland as <laughs> the, the doctor. Kind of the hunchback doctor in a way. He doesn't have a hunchback, but he, he sort of walks like a hunchback. He's got some injuries, some traumas that he's trying to work through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's start off by saying I watched the director's cut. You watched the theatrical cut. I do believe I watched the theatrical cut. Let me, how long, okay, so let me ask you this question. There's is a, the director's cut longer and how much longer? Yes. It is 11 minutes longer and they take out the voiceover that you hear in the theatrical uh, it's Kiefer that does the voiceover, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah they take that yeah. all out, and they add more scenes that he thought just like help fill the movie a little more, and added a little more character stuff. Okay. Like there's um, trying to think. There's <clears throat> there's I I remember reading there was a bunch of shots of the um John tuning. Uh, it uh, like he he changed the angle in the frame on different shots. I was looking at screen comparisons and just oh, oh. they're slightly different and color enhanced, obviously. Okay. Um, the opening scene is definitely extended in the bathtub. Um, there's more shots of dead hookers. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Oh, there's a big one. Um, the hooker he meets in the auto map and then goes home with her. Uh, there's an extended scene where, um, uh, John meets, uh, the daughter. And then when Emma and the detective are going through her apartment, uh, Emma finds the hooker's daughter under the bed, drawing and showing the strangers killing her mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a whole scene that's not in the theatrical. Okay. So the reason I asked that question is to I, satisfy my curiosity because I found this movie really at, almost jarringly paced. So I've wanted it to breathe a lot more, especially up front. And I'll, I'll kind of get into some of the reasons that I found that to be the case. So my hope was that there's a director's cut out here, <laughs> like 30 minutes longer, and we have a few more scenes, but really it's just the same story toned down a little bit and paced out and allowed to breathe because there's so much editing. And I, it really clashes with the tone of the story that we're telling and even the the setting that we're telling it within. So I've, I found it to be a really jarring experience and I was hoping you would give me a, a uplifting answer, but you did not because no, a little girl under the bed does not solve my problem. No, but what you said with it's jarring, like there's a lot of quick camera work. Yeah. Uh, and a it's lot. Not, even when the camera is still, there's a lot of quick editing. And that it that also does something scene. really specific that kind of I find anti-cinematic 
it settles in a little bit towards the end, but especially early on, there's no overlap edits. There's no reaction shots. It's always a uh, director's cut has definitely more. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's more of that in there too. It needs it, man. This movie, at least the theatrical cut, is just faces telling you information with no context of how anybody feels about this revelation or what the meaning of it might be to our plot or where we're headed from here. It's just like dumping information at you in these really snappy kind of aggressive mm-hmm. movements and, and, and cuts. I it really kept me away, man. I didn't enjoy this experience. I gotta be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm damn. I haven't seen the theatrical cut in forever. Okay. So probably since like, 2008 when the director's cut was released there's just like there's no need to watch the theatrical cut because it had a true blade runner editing experience where it the studio thought that the masses and the audience would not understand the movie so they made him add in that voiceover that clunky voiceover that gives away the movie like, it, it tells you pretty much up front what they're doing with the syringes and all that. Um, yeah, it, def- yeah, it definitely does. I don't, for me, that's not the problem that I have with it. I think that is a problem, but it's not necessarily what's bothering me. And it, it's not even necessarily a problem. If you want to frame your movie with this big exposition stuff from Kiefer Sutherland, like the open and close on that kind of scene, <laughs> That can work, especially in a movie like this, where that's so information laden. Other movies that do that like pretty well, like the Underworld movies, have so much mythology and stuff. I don't think they're good movies, but they... Yeah, I, I've only seen the first one, so I can't really pull from any of them. Fair I haven't enough. seen the first one since theaters. Fair enough. Yeah, and it's not like a stellar example of what I'm trying to describe either. But like th- this... Dark City feels, for how big it is, and even for the time, it was probably like, it was an. It seems like an indie film. It was made for twenty-seven million and made twenty-seven million. Okay. Uh, and then compared to what Warner Brothers doing was doing at the exact same time with Matrix, spending millions and millions of dollars, telling kind of this exact same story there's people not realizing they're prisoners and uh one of them being awakened to be the chosen one there's even a fucking flying fight scene at the end yeah and it it, like ultimately culminates with light breaking through this darkness that that the that's because he he was injected with the Kiefer injecting the, the memories that keep the fake memories that the Kiefer built so he would know how to defeat all of the I mean yes. so I, I gotta point it up that like that's script bullshit it just is like, oh, it's a weak script man and I think the dialogue is pretty rough also there's a lot of rough dialogue and but I don't think the anybody, set, like, the set the production design looks amazing it looks amazing so I do and you brought something up about it earlier in that it feeling like an indie so I do want to talk about uh, I, I'll just wrap up by saying I, I think this is a poorly scripted and very poorly directed movie and we can get into that a little bit later more if you want um but 
the fact that this is, it's a New Line movie, it's New Line Cinema. Mm-hmm. And they're not, you know, they're not one of the big guys, but they're kind of Which mini Warner Brothers, isn't it? Uh, yes, Time Warner now, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, so they're, they were making <laughs> the same movie. Interesting. And New Line is a lot of my memory of the 90s. You know, we, we talked about it with that, Scream. And, yeah, oh, no, that's not, that's Dimension. Oh, oh, right, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Dimension Horror New Line action, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, because, like, this is a, almost a, I feel like a different step from New Line at the time because they were doing a lot of comedies, dramas, some action. I don't think there was really any sci-fi under their catalog. Well, there's not a ton of sci-fi in anybody's catalog. It's, you know, still a underserved genre, right? They're hard to do, and a lot of them can be just truly boring. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at New Line 90s movies and just see what we can, some of Definitely. the, yeah, a lot of big comedy ones. They did a bunch of the horror stuff, though, like, they did a lot of the Jason movies and Freddy movies later on. They did the Turtles movies and Mortal Kombat. Like way later, though. Like the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the later Jason movies, for sure. Like Jason Goes to Hell and, and yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Nightmare oh, and shit like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, actually? This is a quote. Um, Freddy built New Line. Oh, that's Night- right. Nightmare on Elm Street did so fucking well that it helped make New Line what it is. Right on. So other notable New Line cinema titles at the time are Seven, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight, American History X, Pleasantville, Magnolia. I know you love that one. I do. Yeah, Friday. I mean, so my point about all of this is that they made some great movies and they are a studio. They're not like Paramount. But New Line is big business. And a movie like this, <laughs> I don't think it gets made. It definitely doesn't get made by a studio today. And it probably doesn't get made by a studio even in the 80s. Maybe in the like late 80s as Verhoeven's starting to become a force in Hollywood. I but- can see this. Imagine him, uh, the director is, and writer uh, is Alex Proyas. Proza? Proyas. How do you- okay. Um, so he made The Crow. Right. So do you, do you think him making this before The Crow, maybe? Because they actually have the same city scape. They kind of look very similar. Do, well, like if he made Dark City in the 80s, do you think it could have been um, uh, better for that time versus like, uh, it, with its special effects and everything? I maybe I I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'm not sure I, if I'm stating a direct question. <laughs> I think I'm just saying, do you think the movie might have had a better chance of being made with an '80s production? No, so no, that's my point exactly. I think this movie never gets made outside of like between 1995 and 1999. I think even maybe like into like 2003 you know, but by the late 2000s, this movie doesn't get made. No, not a chance. And earlier than that, I think it could have been made in the 80s. And what I I thought you might have been asking, which I think is an interesting idea, is I think this might have been a better movie at that time because the effect would have been much more practical. And having to watch that cityscape grow out of like 
miniatures and tabletop models would have been super super cool and although they did they did a that scene of the building coming closer and then it crushes the stranger in between the building like that looked great or did you not have that scene in your copy no i believe that was in there and so and some of that stuff looks really really cool but some of it does rely on cgi from the late 90s and it doesn't look as cool when it's a set it looks fucking awesome man it was super super cool and that actually kind of leads back to one of my complaints about the direction of this movie and alex proyos which is like let me look at some of this stuff you guys built an incredible functional real set and you cut away with cut away from it every half a fucking second yeah i Give me a pan even, or like a slow pullout so I can behold the beauty of these things. So $27 million to really build these sets and put these costumes on these characters. There is a tactile nature of this movie that I really love because it's so typical of 90s movies. I get that. That comes from the remnants of the studio system and this kind of specific period in time. Yes, uh, I agree. Uh, It. (laughs) Okay, so now let's talk about the. uh, First, you need to watch the director's cut because I think there the pacing is definitely different from the theatrical cut. There's a lot more drawn out scenes and you get to linger with characters a little longer. Uh, But don't get me wrong. There's still some fast editing in there, especially there's a scene of him in the phone booth, just looking up a name and the camera is fucking panning around this telephone booth multiple times. And I'm just calm down. I'm actually okay with it. When we're on Rufus, when we're on Murdoch, and we're flying around crazy as hell, that makes sense because we're actually matching our camera movements to our storytelling. This is a character that is frantic in a world that he doesn't understand. He's looking in every direction, just hoping that there's an answer out there for him. So I'll defend that motion there. Where I have real problems with it are in instances like when Jennifer Connelly is first talking to John Hurt at the police station and like, filing the missing persons report. And well, they told me to come and talk to you. That should be sultry. That should be a little like, is she flirting with the cop? Is that, cause that's the noir trope, right? And it's not, it's just like, well, they told me to come talk to you. Well, I can't be here for you. And they don't have that kind of like snap to pull off the dialogue either. So it's neither, what's the phrase? Neither hair nor horse. Neither here nor there. Whatever, yeah. So it's not neither foul nor whatever. <laughs> it, but it's not either of these things, and it drives me crazy, man. Um, I that scene in particular, I actually don't remember being that fast paced. I'm telling you, I think this director's cut has like slight tweaks that draw it out because he yep. William Hurt says that to her. He uh, he says, "Go back downstairs. You need to talk to the right. front desk." And she's like, "Well." They told me I need to see you. And then it like comes back to him and he looks at her. She delivers the line that way. She, and he responds that way. The edit 
Hmm. Picks I don't really at focus exactly on exactly the moment that he starts speaking and cuts at exactly right. the moment she huh? stops speaking and it's just face huh. to face instead of like letting her eyes do a little acting it's shit ass terrible direction in this movie I'm sorry man I think that's the editing though I think that, that is, is the, probably that is the studio editing, no, I think he edited this fucking movie I really do hang on no no I'm thinking of Stuart Baird and U S Marshalls. <laughs> you just can't get off Stuart Baird. <laughs> that, that's neither here nor there. I don't know why. You're I'm really on U.S. Marshals right now. Tommy Lee Jones is introduced in a chicken mascot outfit. I'm and literally he pulls when we a get gun up, I'm going to put in the DVD. I'm going to put in the DVD and record myself watching it, and I'll send it to you. Thank you very much. And I will look up right now. Who wrote Dark City? Oh, you know, you know who wrote Dark City? Alex. David S. Goyer wrote this movie. He's a co-writer, yes. And he, With Alex Proyos and David S. Goyer. There's another one, too, in there. I think there's There's three another there. one, but I don't want to throw him under the bus because it's not his. You just want to throw David S. Goyer and Alex. And Alex Proyos, man. Um, yeah, no, we all know that uh, Goyer has, like, some script problems that i'm not very much into uh man of steel being a very big one it's like it's a garbledy gook of a mess of a movie no and you know what's really infuriating for me is that his name is attached to like all of the dark knight movies because he wrote batman begins so he gets well, I mean, credits for the other ones and i just I mean, he was involved, but I mean, you got Chris and Jonathan. Jonathan is yeah. the credit, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, my I faith in humanity has been restored by us agreeing over that fact. Sorry, my cat was tearing up my carpet. No problem. I had I recorded an episode with uh, you know my other partner on filmography, and it was just constant, like the internet crashed. My cat was tearing up things. <laughs> Something fell over in the apartment. That was brutal. Um, I listened to all of the filmographies. Uh, uh, because we were talking about Southland Tales, my buddy was like, "Oh, you know what? I should probably like rewatch the box." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, borrow it." And he rewatched it, and then literally, you posted the thing the next day, and I'm listening to. It, I'm like, "Damn, I really do like the box." He actually, it's his favorite Richard Kelly. Right he loves the box the most. And uh, don't get me wrong, it's fucking gorgeous looking. It's really gorgeous looking. It, uh, uh, one thing, I'm surprised you did. Sorry, this is a sidetrack from Dark City, yeah, guys. Um, uh, that I thought you guys would mention was that the whole NASA part of the movie is actually a part of Richard Kelly's childhood. His dad worked for NASA. That makes sense. It definitely feels that way. I wanted to try and pull out what I could of the movies as pieces of art on their own before going into too much of the identity of the creator. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me even a little bit because I know he's from West Virginia also, right? Yep. So this, the box feels like his most personal movie. 100%. Darko also feels very personal. In my opinion. And then the box. And then Southland Tales. But Southland Tales is so batshit crazy that I think I actually like it a lot. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's where I land on it also. And that's where I wanted to land on this movie. I wanted it to be, because it, it did, Dark City every so often would pull me back in. I would get a, a moment of like, oh, okay, well, what are we going to do with this thing? And then it unfolds in a very predictable way, and it's too fast. And I, you know, I just, I wish this was better, because it's full of so many things that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. I thought it was kind of only okay. Uh, totally fair enough. I understand. <laughs> I don't think it's a perfect movie. I do thoroughly enjoy it, but having The Matrix come out the next year telling pretty much the same story with better special effects although and so much better filmmaking man it's not just the special effects i you know i I keep hammering this point home but the wachowskis so cloud atlas of theirs is a good example of them going way too far in the other direction for some people's taste i i have it's grown on me this i've watched it like three times in the past two years just because it's a long movie that I can put on while I'm doing something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And what strikes me about that movie more and more, and obviously it's central to what they're doing, it, and they do it better in Cloud Atlas than any place, anywhere around any pine trees, mm-hmm. is that sort of interconnected, causal, time, nature thing. But the reason it's effective at all is because characters have heart and things that they care about that aren't the plot. Okay. Okay. I get it. So I really the Dark City, how about this? I, one thing that Dark City, I think, almost does really well. Well, the thing that it does best is casting John Hurt. Because when this movie works, it's working with John Hurt. His introduction, he, I wrote down, William Hurt with a hat that looks way too big. Is it William Hurt? William Hurt. William yeah. Hurt. I've been saying oh, John Hurt. No, no, no. No, no, no. Wait, John Hurt is the older actor. Right. Or is that William? Yes, it's William Hurt. John Hurt is the older British actor. Right, okay. William, so, oh my God. Oh, wow. I, yeah, you totally fucked me up on that one. <laughs> I think I've been doing it this whole time also. I love how in the Broken Arrow episode you say, huh, if we're going to be doing this, I should probably learn the names of uh the people we're going to be talking about (laughs) i made an effort to do that you saw me shout out rufus sewell yep you got it okay you did say william hurt earlier though okay it is william hurt for what it's uh his character introduction is great and this movie is working really well when he's grounding it because he's so i he's such an anchoring gravitational presence that it can like slow down the pace of even these edits, man. He's really, really good. <laughs> and so in the heart of this movie, when I think it's uh, closest to good anyway, is his speech about not being able to remember his mother giving him the accordion. And obviously there's the plot mechanics of why that's happening with the strangers and everything, right? But Mm -hmm. at the heart of the story, like the emotional core of it, I think that's really profound and and worth exploring and a reason to write this movie. Because I had an experience 
I don't know, probably about a year ago now, maybe a little less than that, doesn't matter, where I was looking through a memory box, you know, a bunch of keepsakes. And there's a ton of stuff in there that I'm just like, oh man, yeah, I'll never forget that day. Can't believe that this thing happened that way. And if my life had been different this way, yada, yada, yada. And then there's like two or three things in there that I'm just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> At one point in my life, it was so important that it is in the collection of the most important moments of my life. I had no fucking clue what it is. Now it's just gone. It's just a thing that I have. Mm-hmm. And so who am I and where do my memories connect with my personality and how does that relate to how we interact with each other and our roles in society? That stuff's all really, really interesting. And I agree. just a little tiny taste of that in this movie, but that's not what this movie's about. You know, it just, it doesn't really want to do that. And when that accordion is introduced, it doesn't come back for like 20 minutes. And for a while, you just think that William Hurt uses an accordion as a pillow. Because why is he, what the fuck is he doing in that scene? Oh, right, they knock everybody out at midnight. <laughs> yeah, which uh, when the tuning process happens, I think that looks, that looks great. Like everyone just stops, falls over, or just falls asleep in their car. Yeah. That works really great for me. Yeah, that's pretty effective filmmaking. It reminds me, I also just this week watched the original Day the Earth Stood Still. Great. And there's a yeah, really great. I posted a review about it on the cinemanerd.com, so check it out for more there. But I'll just shout out real quick that that scene, which is now iconic, of many people coming out of the Lincoln Memorial and pointing at the sky, mm-hmm. is so shocking and so arresting. People are still doing that shot, but it's literally just a handful of people walking out of a building and pointing at the sky. There's nothing to it. Really simple, concise filmmaking, and to his credit, Proyos accomplishes that sometimes in this movie. Yes. Did you watch that because uh, the Pentagon released that information <laughs> about the UFOs? No, man. It was pure happenstance. I watched it because I had a copy and I had never seen it. And it was the most bizarre experience with the news cycle lately because obviously the, the Pentagon video, but also just the way that whole movie is about the failures of democracy and capitalism and it it was profound it was really kind of weird to watch today now you're talking about the one with keanu reeves right (laughs) (laughs) dylan man i don't have a whole lot more on dark i don't either i really i think we summed up everything that we needed to say about this movie um, let's let's um, just kind of give it an up or down. I mean, like, are are you a fan of this movie? Is this something you like? This do you like this movie? Mm, I mean, I this was my third time seeing the movie. Okay, so I saw it once as a kid on VHS, and then uh, when the director's cut came out, watched the director's cut. Haven't watched it since, but I thoroughly enjoyed the director's cut more than the theatrical one. And on this viewing. It still keeps me entertained in a lot of scenes. It doesn't really, because it's so f- uh, edited fast pace, it doesn't really lag in any scenes. No, it definitely doesn't suffer from that. No. Um, so I would say to watch it. Watch the director's cut at least once. Like, uh-huh. just, just for reviewing. Especially if you're a fan of The Matrix. And to see this 
like the year before Matrix comes out and just so many parallels between the films. Okay. I would say watch it if you're a fan of set design and yeah, yeah, and yeah. sort of stagey sci-fi because there is some really cool set design. There are some really cool structures and, and gadgets in this thing. Overall, it's, it's kind of, it's a pass for me. I, although I do want to ask you, so one more question then. The, because this director's cut you think is a lot better. I just went through the can cut versus the theatrical cut of Southland Tales. I think the can cut is much, much better. Yes. The, so notably, I really feel like the Apocalypse Now Redux is a much worse film than the theatrical cut. Have you watched the final cut? No, do they do it again? It, yeah, yeah. He just released it like the the end of last year, and it's the best cut of the whole movie. I got to see it in the dome, oh, and cool. whoa! It's uh, obviously the dome is a sound experience as well. Sure. I'm hearing things I've never heard before because I've only seen it at home. But the so the Redux it. I was never a fan of the French plantation stuff. It was never, yeah, it's just, it draws out the movie way too long. It stops for like 40 minutes. It's rough. So, um, watching the final cut, that scene is still in there. The final cut is only three hours long. So he took the theatrical cut and the redux and cut the redux down because it wasn't what he originally intended to to make it he was kind of rushed to put out the blu-ray mm. so uh he trimmed it down and now, long before blu-ray though not long before but it was before oh no it was dvd the the redux came out on dvd uh sorry my bad um and the french plantation stuff was still in there but watching it in the final cut, it works for me all the way up to him uh, smoking opium with the French plantation owner's daughter. And in bed, like it's shot really well, but that moment is the only thing that needs to be cut from the whole movie. And I think you have a perfect film because it, it draws away from uh, uh, Martin Sheen's character he's not a lover he like yeah he wants to get laid but like he's actually having like these intimate conversations while he's smoking opium with this move uh with this woman and it just it's not his character that's been established before yeah he probably wants like the company of a a woman for the night or something but all the conversation they have just feels unnecessary and bloated right so I'm glad to hear that's removed. I'll take a look at the final cut. I'd be curious to see what it looks like. Do you think there are, are there other director's cuts that, that jump to your mind as being way better or necessary? Because I, I, I generally think of film as being more successful as a collaborative medium, as much as we want to believe in the auteur's theory. I really think that constraints are where creativity, you know, excels. Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, two come to mind. Obviously, Blade Runner has five different cuts, but the final cut is, like, that's what he wanted. He wanted no voiceover in the story, and it makes the movie a better film. I can't, maybe it does. I can't even engage with that, because I watched 
I watched the, or, you know, the theatrical cut of Blade Runner and thought it was a mess. And then oh, watched a different cut and was like, well, this is better, but, you know, wasn't as good as I thought it was, whatever. So I kind of tried a few different times and was like, I'm not watching five fucking versions of this movie. Yeah, no, no. I've seen three versions of it. I've seen theatrical, directors, and then the final. The director's cut is not Ridley Scott. He had nothing to do with that cut. They just named it the director's cut. Okay. Yeah. But the final cut is Is his his version. And then the second one would be Zodiac. Okay. Fincher. I think it's like 20 minutes longer. And I I don't remember the theatrical cut because I think this director's cut is just, I think Zodiac's a perfect movie. Right on. It's flawless. It's really crazy to me when studios or distributors decide to cut 20 minutes out of a movie that's already like 245 or 320. Yeah. And they're like, well, let's just make it shorter. People will like it. It's like, it's, it's still two hours and 45 minutes long. Just tell me the whole story. What? Who benefits from the Qui Bono? Nobody gets the good news out of that, man. I agree. I know there's a couple more that I'm blinking on that are like they're they may not be a better oh here's a good one Tropic Thunder the <laughs> theatrical cut is a better constructed movie the director's cut has just more fun it's longer there's more scenes but you don't need them you, you it's think just that's a, an, an effective genre like because it's a comedy, we can just, you know, riff a little bit and have some mm-hmm. jokes and have some more bits. So it's okay if we want to spend a little more time here because we're just laughing along with it as yeah. opposed to something that, uh, you know, if we're just having intimate opium-influenced conversations. Yeah, nah. uh, I got another Fincher one that he disowns this movie. He fucking hates it, and it's his first movie. Alien 3. The director's cut of Alien 3 is so much better of a movie than the theatrical cut. It, it's a little more preachy. There's a lot more monologues, okay. but it's a better movie. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah. do you think on balance, director's cuts are better movies? Would you mm-hmm. prefer to see the director's, you know, no. what's your at? No. No. It, even most directors say what I put into the theater is what I want you to see. What I'm showing you at home is just extra. Like that's something to be viewed on its own. It is not the proper movie that I've cut. Now there's directors that do get their, their uh, final cut editing taken away. And then they're like, nope, this isn't the fuck. (laughs) Like Josh Trank who made that last Fantastic Four movie. He was verbally uh, outright on Twitter saying, this is not my movie. The studio took it away from me. I don't, I tried to get my name off of it. They wouldn't let me. So you're seeing a bad product. And said that the day before opening day and the movie (laughs) fucking, the movie fucking tanked obviously because it was bad. But he's coming back now with that new Capone movie with Tom Hardy. And uh, he wrote a joke on Twitter. He goes, uh, different title, but my cut. <laughs> <laughs> Good on him. Way to be a spirit about it. I definitely want to see 
a Capone Tom Hardy vehicle. That sounds fun. You haven't seen the trailer? No, I'm also, dude, I'm kind of curmudgeonly. I really try and avoid trailers. Fair. Totally. totally I also fair. watch everything, you know, so I'm going to see it. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like about the last days of his life of him, like, dying of syphilis, and he's really paranoid. Weird. That sounds cool. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait. All right, Dylan. I think that's about it for me. You got anything else? That's it, man. That, that has been made in the 90s, our, our trek through the dark city. Thanks for, for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, catch you next time.